Okay. Welcome back to ABA Ultimate Showdown, a podcast promoting constructive, respectful, and professional discourse to advance the field of behavior analysis. I'm your host, Megan Miller, and I'm stoked to bring you around 11 of the showdown. We are talking about behavior-specific praise and pitting it up against general praise today, and I feel like you are in for a big surprise. So participating today are Ashley Kemmerer and Jackie Kappa. Ashley and Jackie, first timers on the showdown. It's been awesome collaborating with you throughout this entire process. Um, you guys have so much insight into praise and so much beyond this topic. Um, Ashley is going to represent the pro side of the debate that using behavior specific praise to reinforce learners behavior is best practice. Ashley, can you just give us a, an inter, a bio for yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Kemmer. Um, I'm a BCBA and a clinical supervisor with Grand Behavior Services. Um, I've been working in ABA since about 2007 when I was in my undergraduate education um, and have been in the field ever since. I got my master's in ABA and autism um, and have been a BCBA since 2012. And I am currently working on my PhD at Caldwell University and I'm almost done with that. So just dissertation. <laughs> that is awesome. That's going to be so, I'm so excited <clears throat> to be finished. <laughs> All right. So um, ja thanks, Ashley. Jackie, you're going to be representing the con side of the debate that using behavior specific praise to reinforce learners behavior may not be in line with best practice. Can you give us a short introduction for yourself? Absolutely. Hello, everybody. My name is Jacqueline Coppa. I am a behavior therapist here with Grand Behavior. I've been part of the company for about three and a half years and in the field for almost seven now, which is so crazy to me. Um, I got my undergrad at the College of Charleston in 2015 in psychology, and I'm about to go back to school this fall for social work and potentially even add on a dual degree in ABI. Yes, it's going to be so good. You're going to be the best social worker. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. So this motion uh, for this episode will be, like I stated, using behavior-specific praise to reinforce learners' behavior is best practice. And we know in practicing good ABA that a solid operational definition is key. So let's kind of define what we're talking about. Um, Stephen Seidner, Reeve, and Seidner in 2011 defined general praise as, quote, a statement of approval that does not clearly state the specific behavior being praised. Their example was good, um, end quote. They define behavior-specific praise or behavior-descriptive praise or descriptive praise as, quote, a statement of both approval and description of the specific behavior being praised, and that example they gave was good clapping, end quote. Um, Sutherland, uh, Webby, Copeland in 2000 state that behavior specific praise, quote, through uh, the use of praise, the instructor specifies to the student the behavior being performed or reinforced. So kind of a little bit more specific into um, the definition for behavior specific praise. And that's that end quote. And then Pollock 2012 echoes these by stating, quote, descriptive praise, also known as behavior specific praise, identifies the learner for the learner, the behavior for which he or she is being praised, whereas general praise does not, end quotes, kind of pits them against each other. So as Jackie and Ashley uh, discussed this topic, these are the definitions they're going to be referring to. So debate specifics, a coin toss is going to determine the speaking order. Um, each debater is gonna have equal opportunities to speak and will have an opportunity to ask and respond to questions. 
If you're interested in learning more about our debate, the debate format that we do use, check out our show notes or listen to our podcast's introductory episode. We want to emphasize our most important modification to traditional debate formats is that there's neither a winner nor a loser. Our intention is to present a different point of view of a controversial topic that you may or may not have previously considered. We're aiming to disseminate the science in a constructive way by sharing knowledge and respect. We all collaborated. We compiled this huge extensive list of resources on this topic, and they're all cited in the show notes found at grandbehaviorservices.com showdown. I'm going to interrupt the debate to let you know that yes, ABA Ultimate Showdown's parent company, Grand Behavior Services, is an approved ACE provider, and now a bunch of our rounds are counting for continuing education credits. Great content, NCEs, it's like the perfect combination. This episode is going to count for one general continuing education hour or credit. That's one credit. But in order to earn them, you're going to need to hop on over to our website and enter the first code word, which is potato, as in the first domesticated vegetable in the region of modern-day Peru and Bolivia between 8,000 and 5,000 BC, according to Wikipedia. Potato as in the Irish potato famine, potato samosas, latkes, the primary ingredient for French fries, and gnocchi. First code word, potato. Check out our other rounds to earn CE credits from your car, couch, run, or garden. We've got those elusive ethics and supervision credits. So let ABA Ultimate Showdown help you reach that magic 32 hours. And all of your support will allow us to keep bringing you quality, thought-provoking content. So thank you to all of our listeners. Now, back to myself. All right, so enough of my bantering. Um, let's get this party started off right with a coin toss. So the winner is going to get to choose whether to speak first or second. Heads goes to Jackie, representing the pro side, and tails goes to Ashley, representing the con side. So I've got my coin here. All right, here we go. All right, and heads it is. So um, Jackie, do you want to speak first or second? I will go second, Megan. All right, awesome. Woo. All right, so Ashley, you're going to speak first for the pro side and give your opening remarks discussing that behavior-specific praise is the best practice to reinforce learner behavior. And again, the motion is using behavior-specific praise to reinforce learners' behavior is best practice. So take it away, Ashley. All right, thank you, Megan. Um, so I'm going to start off by saying the discussion of praise, I think, is one that goes beyond the scope of just behavior analysis. It's a pretty common strategy used across many types of educational settings. Most evaluations of the use of praise recommend that praise be specific, contingent, and sincere. If specific praise is used, the receiver is able to discern exactly what behavior is desired. So if I say, nice job, Megan versus nice job walking down the hall so quietly, Megan. You'll notice how the latter version provides more information than the, or the first version. The more descriptive praise could increase the likelihood of Megan walking quietly in the future, while the general praise, she might not be sure of exactly what she was doing that caused me to provide the praise. Praise is frequently used this way in behavior analytic instruction procedures, as well, um, such as in a discrete trial instruction format in which a child provides a correct answer and specific praise such as great job touching the tiger is provided. Um, I doubt I'm alone in saying that I think many of us were trained pretty early on in our ABA career to provide behavior specific praise when we're teaching. 
Applied behavior analysis treatment focuses on evidence-based procedures, but behavior-specific praise has really not been heavily supported in the current research. That is to say, not that it's ineffective, but there has been minimal differences found between behavior-specific praise and general praise. And there are only a few behavior analytic research articles currently available on the topic. So of the behavior analytic studies available, um, many have evaluated types of praise in terms of their instructional efficiency. So in other words, does behavior specific praise decrease the amount of time it takes a child to learn a new skill or a target behavior? So for an example, Stevens and colleagues in 2011 evaluated behavior specific praise versus general praise in conjunction with tokens um, and they taught tax and found minimal difference in the number of trials to mastery. Um, and then Pollock and colleagues in 2012 compared behavior specific praise and general praise only they didn't use any additional reinforcers and they taught intraverbals. And they found that behavior specific praise resided, resulted in a slightly faster acquisition, um, but there was only about a difference of two to eight sessions. So maybe not totally significant. So although the results of this question empirically may be inconclusive, I would argue that it might not be the only question that's important in the decision to use behavior specific praise or not. There are so many other ways that behavior specific praise behavior specific praise that's going to tie me up all day may be useful <laughs> or beneficial beyond just faster skill acquisition. One area that has shown support for behavior specific praise is in the general classroom setting. So Chalk and Bezo in 2007 and Sutherland and colleagues in 2000 found that the use of behavior specific praise in the classroom increased students on task behavior. So Sutherland and colleagues taught one teacher to use behavior specific praise for 10 students in a self-contained fifth grade classroom. The students had an educational classification of emotional and behavioral disorders. Once the intervention to increase the teacher's uh, use of behavior specific praise was in place, the students on task behavior increased by 20% or more. There's also some evidence that using behavior specific praise in the classroom may decrease disruptive behaviors. So Chalk and Bezo conducted their study in a school in England. Their study included 109 year four students and four teachers. They measured student on task behavior as well as providing the students with a rating scale used to determine their academic self-concept. Um, teachers in their study were given a definition and examples of their assigned type of praise and told to praise both individual students and groups of students. And they found that students in the behavior specific group had both increased levels of on-task behavior as well as improved self-perceptions of themselves as learners. Um, and teachers from the behavior specific group um, indicated that students settled down more quickly once they began using the behavior specific praise. Additionally, some implications have been made that the use of behavior specific praise could increase a student's self-esteem and ability to cope with failure. It provides them with details of what they did correctly and what they should continue to do in the future. Especially when behavior specific praise speaks directly to the effort and strategy used by the individual rather than in larger generalizations. So behavior analytic treatments have often been criticized for many reasons. And one of the reasons is the reliance or the use of the reliance on or general use of extrinsic reinforcers. So specific praise is a naturalistic social reinforcer that occurs across the lifespan in many, many settings. 
it's a common way we hear positive feedback from our bosses, our supervisors, our coworkers, family members, significant others, even from our friends, um, the list could go on and on. So even if this type of praise doesn't initially function as a reinforcer, wouldn't we want it to become one? If praise was aversive, it would be difficult to function in uh, the various settings that most of us experience, such as school or our workplace. Also, there's no evidence that the use of behavior-specific praise slows down or interferes with skill acquisition. With that being said, wouldn't it make sense to pair praise with other reinforcers? That way we have the potential of conditioning behavior-specific praise as a reinforcer so that in the future, other extrinsic reinforcers can be thinned and ultimately removed. This sets up learners with developmental or learning disabilities to be successful in a less restrictive environment, such as a general education or mainstream classroom, a group home, participating in community activities, um, groups or events. Overall praise is naturalistic and non-invasive, non-invasive, and specific praise provides additional information that can increase acquisition and self-esteem in learners. It's easy to implement and easy to train others to implement. It also shows no evidence of impeding learning. And for these reasons, I believe that behavior-specific praise should be used over general praise, either in conjunction with other reinforcers or on its own. Those are some really great points. Thank you, Ashley. Now we're going to move on to Jackie, who's going to give her opening remarks for the con side of the debate. So again, the motion is using behavior-specific praise to reinforce learners' behavior is best practice. So take it away, Jackie. Thank you, Megan. And thank you, Ashley, for all of your insights. Um, as Ashley had mentioned, we in the field of behavior analysis are often trained and coached to use behavior-specific praise throughout our practice. Behavior-specific praise is also commonly used and recommended by various professionals outside of our field, including those in education, speech and language, occupational therapy, um, and even people who provide coaching to parents. What's interesting is that despite this overwhelming consensus that behavior-specific praise is best practice, there is absolutely no empirical evidence to support its efficacy when it comes to skill acquisition. The most recent research that we currently have is starting to paint a picture that praise in general might not be the best approach for every individual. We've made so many strides in our field over the last handful of years, and the research is really starting to reflect what we've always known to be true. There's no such thing as best practice when it comes to individualized teaching interventions. Operating under the assumption that any intervention is best truly neglects our responsibility as behavior analysts and therapists to provide that highly individualized and effective intervention. We as a field are so deeply rooted in science and so proud to be data-driven, and I think it's time that we start to give praise the same attention that we would anything else. Ashley did a really great job highlighting some of the research that we have to support behavior-specific praise. Um, I'm going to take a look or a little bit of time, I guess, to outline the research that we have in our field, just so that we're all on the same page. So majority of the research that takes a look at behavior-specific praise has been conducted by the field of education, and it focuses primarily on classroom management and teacher performance. There are only a handful of studies that directly compare general to behavior-specific praise, and they've all yielded pretty similar results in that there are negligible differences between the two. Um, and again, just the most important information that's coming out of these recent studies is this indication that results vary based on the individual. So Fuego, Sadras, and Bushel were the first ones in 1975 to put general and behavior-specific praise head-to-head. -head. Their goal was to teach two new swimming strokes to four teenage boys who at the time were diagnosed with mental retardation, although of course now I would like to say intellectual disability. 
The four boys were split into two separate conditions. There was a general praise condition and a behavior specific condition plus corrections. So unsurprisingly, that second condition with the corrections, um, those boys did learn these new skills at a faster rate. But of course, that added component is likely to have influenced that rate. And it makes it impossible to delineate what effect, if any, either type of praise may have had. And I can't help but wonder if this study may have kind of acted as a catalyst that started off this notion that behavior-specific praise is just the best way to go about things. Um, this study was published 46 years ago. And to this day, behavior-specific praise remains so widely practiced and recommended um, without really being put into question. It really wasn't until 2011, so 10 years ago now, that another study was conducted to directly compare the two. I actually touched upon this one a little bit. It was conducted by Stevens, Reeve, and Seidner, and they wanted to take a look at tact acquisition of two young boys with autism. Their study had three conditions um, that both participants were exposed to. So they had tokens alone, tokens accompanied with general praise, and tokens accompanied with specific praise. Both participants had already been taught token economies and were using them consistently within their therapy. So that's why the researchers chose to keep them present throughout the study. I do wish they had put in an extra condition um, without the tokens just so we could compare, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. The results of this study indicated no significant difference between any of the three conditions, concluding that the token economy was really the driving force behind the acquisition of these novel tax and new skills. In 2012, Pollock, Carr, and Haney wanted to expand on that research by comparing the difference between general and behavior-specific praise and the acquisition of intraverbals of two young boys with autism. This study was able to eliminate all other variables and really only focus on the comparison of these two types of praise. Um, their results indicated a slightly faster rate of skill acquisition in the descriptive praise condition, although it was minimal and not scientifically significant. And I think it's also worth noting that this difference did not produce any better maintenance at the end of the follow-up trials. Um, this last study I'm going to get into is pretty cool. I'm going to do my best not to get too deep as there are a ton of layers to it, but the takeaway really is that every individual we work with is different and therefore benefits from different teaching and reinforcement procedures. So this paper was just published in 2020 and it came out of Jacksonville State University. The researchers on this article are Laura Perry Sen, Mackenzie Bales, and Jennifer Bruzek. And the paper is titled An Evaluation of Praise as a Reinforcer for Preschoolers' Behavior. They had a total of six participants, three typically developing preschoolers, two with an autism diagnosis, and one with a diagnosis of a developmental delay. Their studies broken down into two separate experiments. The first to identify if praise serves as a reinforcer for each participant, and the second to compare the efficacy of descriptive versus general praise um, for the acquisition of unknown novel tasks. So the results of the first experiment indicated that two of the six individuals found praise to be reinforcing. So that's only one third of the sample size. To assess for this, each child was presented with a master task and they were tracked on their response rate under various conditions, which included a praise condition, a neutral statements condition, which was things like moving on, okay, to continue, um, and then a no response condition. So two of the six participants displayed an increase in response rate under the praise condition, while the other four did not respond to praise at all. Um, two of those four participants actually stopped responding altogether and they required an additional layer of reinforcement to be brought in. So for one of these children, this extra layer came in the form of edibles and for the other, it came in the form of stickers um, and they needed this to reliably increase their response rate. So results of this first experiment clearly show us that praise does not serve as a form of reinforcement for everybody, and it even indicates that it may be non-preferred by some. This trend of individual preference continued into their second experiment. 
Only four of the six participants remained eligible for the second half of this um, study. One had moved away from the school and the other was removed due to interfering problem behavior. So of the four remaining participants, two were the two that had found praise reinforcing and two had not. So this experiment focused on general versus behavior specific praise um, for novel tasks, which in this case were Spanish words. Um, within this experiment, there were four conditions that all participants were exposed to. There was prompts only, prompts plus a neutral statement, prompts plus general praise, and then prompts plus specific praise. There was also a fifth condition that was implemented for the kids who needed that um, extra stickers and edible reinforcement. So again, what they found was that each child thrived under different conditions. Overall, there wasn't a huge difference in the rate of acquisition between the conditions, although for some kids there was significant variance. So for example, for one of the kids, his rate of skill acquisition was much slower in the prompt plus neutral statement condition, um, suggesting that he found this to be aversive. Whereas for one of the girls in the study, who was actually the one who needed that extra layer of stickers for reinforcement, she was unable to reach mastery in any condition aside from the one that had those stickers involved. Um, I thought it was cool that at the end, they added an extra preference assessment for all four of the students to identify which condition they preferred and they liked the most. Um, and so for the two who we had originally established praise as a reinforcer, they did choose descriptive praise as their preference. Whereas another boy chose general praise as his preference. And then the girl with her stickers chose the no response condition as her preference. So again, as I keep stressing, I just think that there is no best practice and we need to pay attention and do the work to identify what's best for each of our clients. All right, awesome. Thanks, Jackie. That was uh, a lot of great information. So, um, all right, this next segment of our debate is the crossfire. So both sides are gonna have the opportunity to ask and respond to each other's questions. Uh, we're gonna begin with a question from Ashley representing the con side of the motion. And then Jackie representing the pro side is gonna answer. And then she'll follow up with her own question. Uh, this alternating pattern will continue until the end of the segment. So once again, the motion is, Using behavior-specific praise to reinforce learners' behavior is best practice. Um, debaters, please make sure you answer the question to the best of your ability fully and ask for clarification as nece if necessary. And as always, keep it respectful. So Ashley, whenever you're ready, you can ask your first question. All right. Thank you, Megan. Um, Jackie, you made some really great points. And I was curious how do you think you would plan for a client that you might not use praise or if you're not going to use praise or do you have a current client um, that you suspect praise doesn't act as a reinforcer and, and how do you go about uh, your instruction sessions? So I don't think that I would ever go into a new client thinking that I'm not going to use praise. I do definitely want to be clear that it's not my intention to tell everyone to eliminate praise from their practice, but more so just to challenge us all to begin to question um, if our use of praise is being productive and what purpose it's really serving. Um, I found for myself that it's really unnatural for me to say something like great job touching red rather than good job or you've got it, um, or for some kids, maybe even a tickle or a high five. But just as I would never tickle or high five a child unless I knew it was reinforcing and welcomed by them, I'd like to kind of deduce what form of praise is going to be effective and reinforcing for each individual. Um, for the second part of your question, I do have an individual who doesn't respond favorably to praise. Um, I've been lucky that I've had people who have literally told me, don't say that to me. Um, so that's really helpful. But basically, similar to what we heard with that little girl up in the study, just identify something that is reinforcing for them and work with that. 
Okay. Thanks. So Ashley, I want to know what your thoughts are on assessing for praise as a reinforcer, um, considering you are a BCBA. Is this something that you have ever done or have heard of other BCBAs doing? Um, thanks, Jackie. I think that's an excellent question and a great point to make. I'll be fully honest with you. I have never evaluated the effectiveness of, of praise as a reinforcer, um, but I really think in general, this is something that we should be putting into practice more frequently anyway, um, because a lot of times we do a lot of preference assessments, um, which identify potential reinforcers, but then we never follow that up with a reinforcer assessment and are truly evaluating are these reinforcers acting as reinforcers? Um, so I think that's something that we could be better at uh, as a field in general. Yeah, definitely. So my next question for Jackie is, what would you do for clients that behavior-specific praise isn't reinforcing, but they might be seeking some inappropriate form of feedback like verbal reprimands or some kind of other negative attention? I think this is a really good question and it's definitely one that I don't have a perfect answer for. Um, I have seen that some children will seek out that negative attention for reinforcement. I think the behavior analytical answer would be to find something that matches that intensity and serves the same function. So maybe rather than quickly reprimanding the child, you have to kind of equally as fast swoop in and make, you know, a similarly large show of praise to mirror or match what that negative attention would look like and serve for them. Um, but of course, this is challenging and not always so attainable. Um, I think at that point, I would also like to collaborate with some sort of mental health professional um, that's also working with the child to come at it from more of a holistic approach to identify why they're seeking out that negative attention um, and why that is so reinforcing to them. And then we can use our behavior analytic training to kind of create and implement a plan to tackle it step by step. Um, I think a lot of the time with these specific cases, there are things that might be going on at home or a reason that they're seeking that out that obviously we're not going to end up providing that same reinforcement. Absolutely. All right, Miss Ashley, for you, I'm curious <laughs> at this point, you have any parameters or boundaries for when you're implementing behavior specific praise versus when you might hold off on using it? Or do you feel that it is beneficial across the board with all programs just to kind of provide that specific praise. Sure. So I wouldn't say that I use praise or behavior specific praise as kind of like a blanket or across the board reinforcer or consequence um, across all clients or across all programs. I think there are probably certain skills such as clients having a vocal and verbal repertoire that I consider when determining whether I would use praise or not. Um, another consideration might be the type of program we're running. So some things such as, I think you mentioned earlier, like a color identification program um, might not benefit from specific praise as much as something like a daily living skill or a chain task that might be better with feedback or more specific feedback. Um, or if the learner has a lot of language um, that is working on acquiring some really soft skills or social skills, such as learning appropriate tone, um, regulating their emotions, I might be more likely to use descriptive praise and might even provide more additional information as to why their behavior was appropriate in that moment. So for example, if there's a learner who has difficulty um, speaking without yelling when they're upset, 
And they successfully explained to me how they're feeling and what made them upset using appropriate words and tone of voice. I may, might say something like, wow, I really love how you told me how you were feeling using a calm and quiet voice. When you use this type of voice, it makes it easier for me to help you or talk to you or what have you. Another interesting thing that I thought of while you were asking this question is that although you might not specifically program for praise to be used, I think it might be possible and maybe even likely that an RBT or a therapist might use praise without even kind of thinking about it or being instructed to do so. Um, which makes me think maybe we need to attend more to the characteristics of the praise versus uh, whether or not we should use it. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I've been guilty of that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good points there. I actually had um, a client who preferred reprimands and I do think it was because her home environment, um, that was what had been conditioned. So um, it's- Can we ask of- what you did in that situation? Well, I was just a little, I was just a teacher. I was a special ed teacher. At that time, <laughs> so I wasn't um, her behavior analyst, but um, I did try to do an FA because I was in school, but the conditions were um, not ideal because it was a classroom. Sure. So right. I, I never completely isolated it, but like the, our general, our general uh, conclusion was that, um, was that they were making mistakes on purpose to get a reprimand but the other yeah. the, the other factor was like I will we weren't 100% sure what the actual skill level was because we think it had been so it was middle school so we, we think it had been so ingrained throughout his entire her, her entire learning history that like I think that she was really good at masking what she knew how to do so sure. always those those clients who you um always think about right and that's one mm-hmm. that I feel like Absolutely. I wish that I could have gone back and done more absolutely um all right so thanks for those questions and those answers um all right so we're going to switch gears again so we're going to go to rebuttal time so um our next segment is going to be this rebuttal and we're going to start again with ashley representing the pro side who's going to speak first um and so ashley whenever you're ready take it away you're all right thank you um all right so as i kind of mentioned previously i think praise is often used across our lifespan by various individuals in our lives. So our parents or our caregivers are probably one of the first to provide us with praise. Um, And there is a really interesting 2016 medical study by Masterera and colleagues um, that showed that parents that provided praise to their children resulted in increased gray matter in the posterior insular cortex of their brain. So this area is believed to be associated with empathy and emotional regulation. And they also found that there were correlations between parental praise and the traits of conscientiousness and openness to experiences in their child. Um, Obviously, this is just one study, but I think it provides the potential for receiving praise as a way of positively shaping the future behavior in a child. Another research area that I think can provide us with some valuable information on praise is organizational behavior management or OBM. And this is a subfield uh, of behavior analysis that uses behavior analytic principles and procedures in a business setting. So OBM research has evaluated the use of praise in several ways in different workplace research studies. Just a note that OBM differentiates praise from feedback. Um, So in OBM literature, feedback is considered a more general term that may not indicate that an individual is pleased or displeased 
So for example, saying that, just saying that was correct, or you completed five correct in 10 minutes. Whereas praise is a statement intended to reinforce or enhance feedback. So in this sense, praise is a type of feedback. So a few older OBM, OBM studies looked at the use of feedback with and without praise. So Brown and colleagues in 1981 found that providing objective feedback without praise was not effective in improving workplace performance. And then Crowell and colleagues in 1988, they followed up on this research and found that objective feedback was effective in improving performance, but adding praise increased that performance over time um, or performance even more. Um, than by itself. So a recent study evaluated the differences between using specific and global feedback, which I think are kind of similar to behavior specific and general praise. And so Park and colleagues in 2019 found that specific feedback was more effective than global feedback and more frequent feedback also improved performance. So these two feedback variables also had an interactive effect in that specific feedback was better when feedback was less frequent. Whereas there was, a, there was less of a difference between specific and global feedback when the feedback was frequent. Um, and I think this might be an interesting variable to consider in something like a classroom setting, since it may be difficult for teachers to provide a high frequency of feedback statements. I just wanna mention one additional study from the OBA OBM field that didn't directly look at praise or feedback specificity, but had some interesting results that I think might warrant some consideration. So Moon and colleagues in 2017 evaluated and compared the use of social comparison and objective feedback on job performance. So in the social comparison condition, they provided information about your job performance compared against your coworkers' performance. And in the objective feedback condition, you were just provided with objective information about your own performance. Interestingly, they found that the effectiveness of these two types of performance feedback were somewhat dependent on your performance level. So high performing employees performed better using social comparison and low performing employees performed better using objective feedback. I find this interesting because I think it provides another potential variable to consider in the many layers of receiving and providing praise and feedback. When considering the use of praise in behavior analytic treatment and education, we may need to consider the type of learner we're working with when determining how and when to provide feedback. But classroom behavior comparisons could be an interesting addition or alternative to presenting and providing feedback to students. So although OBM evaluates a different area of behavior analysis, I think it could be beneficial to consider their findings related to praise and feedback as setting up individuals to receive feedback early on could improve their ability and preparedness for receiving it in a job setting. Yeah, absolutely. So there's one additional study from behavior analysis um, that I'd like to add. It's not yet published, but was completed as a student dissertation um, by Gina Pasito in 2019. And she completed a study with multiple experiments comparing the use of both general and specific praise as well as neutral and enthusiastic praise. So her study included three participants and was conducted in the participant school setting. In the first experiment, a praise evaluation was conducted. So this involved teaching sight words using four different combinations of praise, which were general neutral, general enthusiastic, behavior specific neutral, and behavior specific enthusiastic. 
Um, in the second experiment, they conducted a, a descriptive assessment of the natural rate of praise statements of each of the participants' teachers. Then in the third experiment, they conducted a social validity evaluation by using a current concurrent change procedure um, to assess the participants' preference for each of the four conditions. They additionally provided a social validity survey to the participants' parents and teachers. The results of the um, experiments showed no clear differentiation between the type of praise across participants, which is similar to um, the previous studies we've mentioned. And although there were not similarities across participants, there were patterns of responding within participants. So one participant acquired more targets in either of the behavior specific conditions with no difference between neutral or enthusiastic. One participant acquired more targets during the neutral conditions with no differentiation between general or specific. And the third participant acquired more targets in three out of the four conditions. The descriptive assessment found that all the teachers delivered more general neutral praise statements. But interestingly, two out of three teachers expressed that they felt students learned better with behavior specific enthusiastic praise, even though they didn't use it. <laughs> the social validity preference assessment results showed that the participants' preferences corresponded with the condition in which they acquired the most targets. The findings of this study, of course, highlight the need for individualized attention for how children learn best or how they prefer to learn. But it also provides additional support for the use of praise when teaching new skills and gives us some additional considerations to think about when evaluating the use of praise. Um, future research might evaluate how praise becomes a condition reinforcer and whether there are differences between praise in a group instruction setting versus an individual instruction setting. It's really interesting that we have to dive outside of like our ABA literature to, to find all of these studies. Um, so thanks, Ashley. Thanks for doing all that research. Sure, um, those are really good points. All right. So Jackie representing the con side, Jackie's going to give her rebuttal. So Jackie, whenever you're ready, take it away. Thank you, Megan. Um, Ashley did bring up a good point that praise will occur naturally in our environment, regardless of whether it currently serves as a reinforcer for our clients. So why not begin to condition them to praise as it will inevitably be present throughout their lives? I do completely agree with this, but again, I just think it's important for us to first assess where our clients are prior to simply jumping in and utilizing behavior-specific praise. I think we can go about systematically working on that if it is something that is aversive. Um, it really wasn't until about eight months ago, probably, that I began to even question my own use of behavior-specific praise. Um, I had two instances kind of happen right around the same time with two separate clients. So for the first one, I was working with one of my clients on emotional regulation. Um, we were trying to teach him how to utilize various coping skills in replacement of problem behavior when a challenge would occur. So on this particular day, one of his electronics just wasn't operating the way that it was supposed to. And rather than throwing the game across the room, which he had done in the past, um, he was able to take a deep breath, kind of articulate what the issue was with me. And we were able to come up with possible solutions and kind of work through each one together until we solved the problem. Um, and this was huge for him. So once we were able to solve that problem, I said something along the lines of, oh, I love the way that you were able to keep your cool in that situation and to problem solve rather than become upset. And he immediately like shot back at me and said, don't say that. 
Um, and honestly, later in that same session, another challenge occurred. And without even thinking, I praised him again for keeping his cool. And he turned around and shouted at me, I told you not to say that. Um, and at the time, I apologized to him and I thanked him for using his words. Um, and over time with trial and error and just open conversation with him, we were able to work together to identify that he didn't appreciate that feedback when he was feeling escalated. So for him, it was more beneficial to hold off until he was kind of back at his baseline. And then we could look back and talk about whether what we needed to do differently or how wonderfully he handled the situation. Right. I thought so too. Um, and then around the same time I was working with a young girl um, she was six years old at this time and the oldest of three kids. And like all six-year-olds, she did not like to share her toys with her brothers. Um, so at the time we were working on Dr. Hanley's skill-based treatment and tolerance training. And one of our challenges for her was to share these top tier reinforcers with her brothers. Um, and during one of her trials, I had her pass her Tomagotchi, which she was obsessed with <laughs> over to her brother. And after letting him play with it for a little bit, I was like, oh my gosh, I love the way that you're sharing with your brother. And immediately upon me providing that feedback, she ripped the Tomagotchi from his hands, pushed him over and ran into the other room. So for me, that was a very clear sign for me that that SD that I gave her of good job sharing with your brother actually resulted in aggression and elopement rather than increasing the desired behavior of sharing with her brother. Um, so I think it's important for us to just remember that praise is really only reinforcing if it's increasing that desired behavior. Um, one of the most common arguments that's used to promote behavior specific praise is just this notion that by providing specific feedback, we're letting the person know what we liked about their behavior or why we're praising them. And I do agree with this logic. So like if I were to come home from work and just say thank you to my boyfriend versus coming home and saying, oh, thank you so much for doing the dishes. It's so nice to come home to a clean house. Um, of course, then he understands why I'm thanking him. But the research is still showing us that by providing him that feedback, it doesn't mean that he's going to wash the dishes more often than if I were to just thank him. Anyways, I wish it uh, did. I wish it did. I know. If only it did. <laughs> it's important to keep that in mind. I, I was with a client this morning and I thanked her for picking up a cap off the floor and then for nicely putting her marker away. And in my head, I was thinking about it. It doesn't mean that she's going to do it again. You know, as mm -hmm. Ashley mentioned, it's just, it's almost ingrained in us at this point that we're providing this praise. Um, and it's just important to keep in mind that it doesn't mean that it's going to increase that behavior. Um, and again, I do think that behavior specific praise has a place. I'm not saying that we need to get rid of it, but I do think that we should be more mindful of when it is appropriate to use. Um, we're trained to kind of sprinkle it into our practice um, to the point that we're using it without that conscious thought. Um, and I think that this is the narrative that we really need to rework. There is research conducted within the field of education. It's most commonly with typically developing children um, where we do see this decrease in off-task behavior. Um, generally in groups or in the classroom in conjunction with an increased rate of that behavior specific praise coming from the instructor, the instructor, I'm sorry. So things like great job sitting nicely in your chair, or I love the way you're raising your hand, et cetera. Um, I think more research is needed to kind of generalize this to the one-on-one -on -one instruction. Um, as many of us are working in the home or in clinics um, or even in schools on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But again, this is good information to keep in mind when we are using behavior specific praise. So while it might not be helpful in things like skill acquisition, there is a trend of productivity when it comes to decreasing that disruptive behavior in groups. I think it's worth mentioning that praise in general is really challenging to study um, and to isolate because it is accompanied by so many other variables in the natural environment. Um, some studies that we looked at suggested a difference in the way 
people absorb and respond to praise based on things like age, gender, race, cultural upbringing, um, and even levels of self-esteem, which is so interesting. So again, I think the goal here is just simply to be mindful of every individual that we have the pleasure to work with and to really just do our best to identify what's gonna be the most productive and reinforcing for them and their treatment. All right, thanks, Jackie. That was all really thought provoking. Um, all right, so we're gonna move into this next segment of our debate. It's called the second crossfire, um, but it's gonna flip around a little bit. I'm gonna ask the questions as the moderator of both of you. And then we're gonna kind of keep, um, I'm gonna kind of ask both of you the questions so both of you can respond. We'll kind of alternate the pattern if if it happens if it doesn't that's fine um but just as before please make sure you answer the question to the best of your ability and ask me for clarification if if you need um and then as always we just keep it respectful right that's our podcast all right so both of you kind of made really good points about not using praise across the board and to kind of evaluate learners' preferences. So what would be your recommendation to certified and, and non-certified staff? So um, maybe like power professionals or, or behavior therapists in a setting that isn't one-to-one, right? So I'm just thinking of all the barriers uh, to that approach in a traditional middle or high school setting with multiple staff members working with 25 to 30 kids at a time across a bunch of different contexts, like subjects, peers, time of day. So like what would be um, your recommendations for evaluating their, their individual preferences when you're addressing such a big group of people? Well, I do love these larger group settings for kids that are able to remain present and don't necessarily require that one-to-one. There are so many natural skills that are embedded to that environment, such as waiting to be called on, tolerating, um, having the teacher call on somebody else, and just basically waiting for that delayed attention and reinforcement from the authority figure. Um, there has been a lot of research that has showed that behavior-specific praise can be helpful in that group setting and increasing attending behaviors, um, basically through a DRO procedure of rewarding appropriate behavior in the absence of problem behavior. So I think in this setting, it is incredibly appropriate to use that behavior-specific praise to shape that attending. Um, but again, I think it's important to pay attention to who might not be responding to that group um, intervention. I have worked with kids in a group environment that didn't really respond well to that. And you just have to go ahead and that's when you're gonna spend more time working on what's gonna individually work for them. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Ashley, you wanna add anything to that? You don't have no, to. No, I mean, I kind of, I agree a lot with what, what Jackie said. I, I think that some of the educational research has provided some support for using praise in a group. Um, I also think some of the kind of social comparison thing that I mentioned before could be beneficial depending on the makeup of your classroom. Like it might be beneficial to provide praise in front of all of the kids for specific kids or specific groups of kids doing well. And that could ho hopefully maybe motivate some of the other students um, to engage in similar behaviors to, you know, get their teacher's attention. And yeah, and that's that whole, um, right, like positive behavior supports, right? So right. Like those two sure. to one interventions are going to affect everybody. And then you might have to yeah. individualize kind of like what you just said, Jackie. So I kind of um, want to piggyback off of that, though, too, because one thing that I found really interesting while we were researching for all of this was that um, one discrepancy that was found with age is that with younger kids, they really did respond well to that praise in front of a larger group. Whereas when you start to hit those teenage years, they want to be praised, not in front of anybody and only kind of in an isolated environment. So again, there are just so many different factors that are at play yeah. for older 
students, I feel like praise almost is aversive in a large group setting. Cause it's like, you don't want yeah. to do that. When you're somewhere, once, once you're somewhere between that, like middle school to early high school age, it's like teacher's attention isn't cool anymore. Right. You know, like I want to do everything I can to not be noticed. Yeah, right. Don't, don't look at me. So. What was, um, I love Rick Lavoie. He's like a special education. When I was a special education teacher, he was like my favorite. Well, he's still one of my favorite people, but he always says like the quickest way to get the response is like, ask the question and you see everybody's eyes go down, (laughs) right? They lose the eye contact. They don't want anybody to talk to them. Um, Yeah, yeah, that is is a really good point. All right, so, um, all right, next question. Um, Do you think there should be more research on which behaviors we should be praising? You know, like 47 step, uh, task analysis. Are we praising every step? Are we, are we only praising certain kinds? I know through a lot of our research, we were able to discuss a number of the variables that might influence the way a child absorbs praise. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on areas that we might benefit more from learning about. And like, to add on to that, why do you think this intervention is so widely used and recommended when there is so little behavior analytics research to support it? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that there are a ton of things that we need to learn about praise still. I think one of the biggest things Jackie and I learned is that there's not a lot of research out there. Um, So we've really only, to me, kind of scratched the surface of looking into praise in terms of uh, empirical support. Um, So I think that it would really be great to look at comparing different types of teaching um, procedures or skills that we're teaching and how does praise function across those different skill types. Um, You know, maybe using the same participant and teaching different skills and seeing is praise different across those different skills. Um, You know, maybe we only need to praise the, the steps that they're struggling with in a long task analysis or something like that. Or stuff that's newly acquired um, behaviors that we're shaping. And I think it also brings up the conversation of, should we fade praise? Should we fade praise for all skills? Should we fade praise for just some skills? Um, You know, should teachers not be praising everything to make sure they're not over praising? Um, And then, you know, Megan, you also mentioned all those variables Um, involved in providing praise, which I think we kind of are starting to know what those are, but I still don't think we also have the research to support how do we use them and how do we manipulate them to be helpful um, in providing more effective praise. So, you know, there's, we talked about tone, enthusiasm, the type of words used, the number of words used, Um, should it be with or without other reinforcers? all those things. Um, And then in terms of uh, why it's so widely used without without the research, I think the unfortunate piece on the behavior analysis side of things is that there's kind of a lack of dissemination of behavior analysis in general. Um, I don't think that outside of our own kind of little bubble, it's taken very seriously. Um, So I think that this kind of is something that's used so widely in education um, because people talk about how easy it is. The teachers don't need any materials to provide praise um, and perhaps it it spread that way. Um, But we never really 
got into researching it or at least we haven't thus far yeah it's always one of those like IEP uh, modifications that's always checked right frequent praise frequent praise Jackie you want to do you have any thoughts on I think Ashley pretty much covered it I'm kind of right there with her with a lot of what she said um I wanted to mention this earlier but I don't think I was able to kind of sneak it in so I think now might be a good time but I think it's also important to mention sometimes when we're working with kids that might not have you know, that language comprehension piece all the way down and we're using all these extra words and information, we might only be kind of clouding what they already have coming in and making it more challenging for them to absorb all this information. Um, so just another thing to keep in mind, there are so many layers and nuances that go on. And I do definitely think that more research does need to be done to kind of paint a better picture for what is going to be the most productive. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause sometimes I feel like I get tired of hearing my own voice. So. Yeah. So like, I feel like that, that helps with, with that too, like that language comprehension piece. All right. So, um, all right, next question, Jackie kind of touched on this a little bit, but I thought that it was warranted to kind of extend, expand upon, because I feel like it's being so widely disseminated in popular culture, um, internet parent coaches, you know, Instagram accounts, um, widely disseminated popu- uh, publications like the New York times and psychology today, all of them are recommending that children are praised for the effort. Uh, they put into the process rather than prefixed uh, traits like intelligence. And according to these sources, research shows that praising areas um, over which children have control, right, like attitude, compassion, effort, they produce better task performance, greater persistence, and more enjoyment than by praising innate and unalterable traits. And that's from Taylor 2009. Um, There is research to support this. I know you guys talked about it. Mueller and Dweck, 1998 is one of them kind of piggybacking on my last question, why do you think there's so little behavior analytic education on this and other specific variables surrounding praise? Why aren't students of behavior analysis being taught these variables? Like why, as a behavior analyst, do I, do I have to read about it in psychology today? Like why wasn't it taught to me in school? Um, and how all of this would affect learners differently? Like, do you think that maybe this should be something that's, a, that's added to the task list? So I think the short answer to this question is just that this specific research is really coming out of clinical psychology. And so often in our world of ABA, it might be referenced as mentalistic and therefore outside of our scope. Um, I don't necessarily think that it needs to be added to the task list, but I do think that it's important for us as a field to become more open to research coming out of other disciplines. Um, I do love this study that you're referencing. It's um, been replicated numerous times and it's definitely something that I like to keep in consideration when I am providing praise. Um, So basically just a quick rundown for those who are listening, if you're not familiar with these studies, what they found is like, say we have a group of kids that come in all with an A on their Spanish test. Um, half those kids go home and mom and dad say, oh my gosh, good job. You're so smart. Good job. You are the smartest. And the other half go home and they're praised by saying, wow, you worked so hard. You stayed up studying so much last night. I'm so proud of you for getting that. A. you worked so hard for that. And what they found is that the kids who are told that they're smart moving forward might choose an easier task to kind of fulfill that prophecy that they are smart. So they can go home and get that same feedback of, oh, I'm so smart, I did it. Whereas the kids who were praised for working really hard and studying super hard um, and for their effort are more likely to choose a challenging task moving forward because they have that belief that they can do it if they work hard enough. Um, And so that is always something I like to bring to attention when I hear 
people say, oh, you're so smart. You're so beautiful. You're so X, Y, and Z to really start to pay a little bit more attention to the effort that goes into it rather than the product. Yeah. Really good points. Ashley, do you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I appreciate Jackie that you brought up us not kind of taking feedback or research from other fields. Cause I think that's a really important point to make. Um, I think something else that I think we're trying to start to work on is kind of just being more sensitive across the board as a field and really looking at what's valuable and important to our families and their culture, um, which I think might be something to really think about with this conversation. Because I think we kind of didn't really touch on it yet in our conversation, but I, I think something we were missing is, is praise even valuable across cultures? Um, you know, there's a really interesting article um, from The Atlantic that talks about parenting in different countries and different cultures um, and how Americans kind of overpraise their kids in, in the opinion of other cultures. And a lot of cultures don't really treat their kids any kind of differently than they treat the adults in the community. Um, so I think this is an interesting piece of the conversation that maybe we really need to think about is, is praise a reinforcer for that culture? Um, and should we be, and are we asking families like, would you praise your kids? Do you praise your kids? Is this something that you find reasonable or that you think should happen? Um, or is it not important to you? Do you not think that they should be praised or receive outside reinforcers for their behavior? Yeah, it's a really good point. I actually, um, Ashley, you had sent me that article a while ago and I read it um, and after and it really left an impact on me because um, I've got three little guys at home and uh, I feel like I did change the way that I was parenting them. And I feel like at least one, but possibly all of my kids kind of prefer that more indirect nonverbal method of feedback. Right. So like when I wink at them, they'll wink back at me and they think they're funny, you know, like, or like, they'll give me a thumbs up when they're doing a good job. And I feel like that that's like, I don't need to say anything. They kind of just have intrinsically took that approval that I don't need to give that praise behavior specific or general. It doesn't need to be said because I'm giving it a different, in a different way. Um, and also like, it also makes me think like, do you don't have to praise everything? Like they're just walking, you know, like it's, you don't have to, <laughs> <laughs> hey, great job walking. Yeah. <laughs> Although my, my one son does go boneless a lot. So, um, that's always fun. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's interesting too, because I don't know if you guys have heard this, but it's, uh, it's kind of a controversial conversation that comes up in the work, uh, place too, right now that like, should employees be praised for doing their job? basically, you know, like, should you just be praised for going kind of above and beyond? Or do you deserve to be praised just for doing kind of what's in your general job description? Right, right. Because like you signed on for it, you knew what was involved. Do you really need to, should you be praised for that? That's interesting. I feel like I haven't seen that. I, I would like to read some of those articles because we, I mean, we at Graham, we have the lottery, right? So like yeah, we try to praise, yeah. yeah, like we, we, um, at our company, we have this, um, nomination lottery kind of when we hit 75 nominations from staff member to staff member, then, um, our, uh, our executive director pulls 
you know, a winner. And it's always exciting to get that email with the video of who's the winner and like how much they won. But like, it is a good point. Like what, I mean, I think that we do that. I think that we praise like going above and beyond. Like, I think that that um, is what we do, but maybe, maybe that needs to be kind of operationally defined or like, maybe it's good the way that it yeah. is. I don't know. They, there's some studies in OBM about, they call it discretionary effort. So it's basically like doing more than what's asked of you and what, effort. what variables cause someone to be more likely to engage in discretionary effort behaviors, like going beyond what's asked of you. And you know what? Like, not. I feel like it's, I, 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 I forget, I think Jackie said it before, but like, I think it varies from person to person. Right. Sure. Like, I feel like, um, I think that again, like Rick Lavoy, who knew that I was going to bring him up twice, but he has this whole book on like motivate, like what motivates, it's not an ABA based book, but what sure. motivates, um, kids do I have in here? No, somewhere else. But, um, he, I feel like he talks about like the different ways to that people are motivated. And like, some people are motivated by like extrinsic praise and some people are really not like, I don't, I don't do my job for the external praise. Like I do it because like, it's intrinsically motivating to me you know so it's like very I feel like that's but all I mean. think and I think the important part of that too is like what what gave you those traits yeah. right yeah. like because right. I think I that... got I think I got that type of trait as well but I think a lot of it was based on how I was raised right like you know my mom was very I was very independent it was like the expectation was that she would come home and my homework would be done and there would be no questions asked and that's how I yeah. functioned and I became very self-sufficient at a very young age and just strived to be good at school on my own because yeah. I wanted that that pride I guess for myself versus needing a teacher to praise me right I wonder if there's like a temperament piece to it too you I'm know? sure it's like, like you know a little nature a little nurture yeah. right yeah because <laughs> yeah. I feel like my sisters and I are all so different in that way you know and yeah like yeah. different kinds of feedback and we were all raised by, you know, the same parents, same town, same house, you know, so it's yeah. really the one, I, um, the one study I mentioned earlier, the, the dissertation study, I think was Gina Pasito's. I don't think I mentioned this piece of it, but she did actually ask the kids' moms what kind of praise they use at home. And a lot of them, their preferred praise was what their mom provided. Uh, right. So funny. like if the mom really loved in giving enthusiastic praise, like they liked enthusiastic praise. That's really interesting. And I feel like, again, like if just like, I feel like as a parent, it's like the responsibility is just always like, so, <laughs> so crushing. So right? like I'm, I'm shaping my kids, like what their preferences are for praise. Like there's so much right. responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Je anything else you guys want to say about that one or move on to that last question? Okay. So we're going to move on to this last question. So as you research this topic, and I know we've kind of addressed this a lot, but, um, as you prepared for this debate, like, was there anything like either in the process or in the content that kind of stood out as like surprising or interesting to either of you? Ashley, you start? Yeah. I think for me, you know, obviously kind of like the sheer unavailability of information was a little shocking because I know we've said it a million times that praise is used so much but there's not a lot to support its use um which I think as a young therapist when I first started out I probably would have never guessed that right because everyone just yeah. tells you oh right. you know give the kid praise when they do x y and z and you just say okay you think yeah. that's 
you know, it's best practice or whatever. But um, I also think it was surprising the more I read, thinking about the more variables that are involved with praise that I never would have thought about. I'm like, yeah. man, I'm not thinking about like, Am I excited? Do I sound excited? Do I sound neutral? Do I sound like I wasn't thinking about like volume? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the I kinds of words you're using. It, are you using your hand? Like, are there gestures involved? I'm sure there's probably like a million different things involved. So those are the things, some of the things that stood out to me. I also think that there are like some really cool things from other fields that we don't talk enough about. So that was cool to like dive into research from another field that I don't think I don't think we do that enough and I think we should do more of it so yeah. that was a cool piece for me yeah. I completely agree with everything Ashley just said I think <laughs> we, all, we all went down our various rabbit holes of research and would just come up and be like guess what I heard guess what I heard <laughs> and honestly the conflicting information the conflicting advice that's out there you know mm -hmm. that completely contradicts itself from one place to the next and then again just isn't necessarily even being supported by much other than this is my thought you know yeah. um I actually just listened to a podcast the other day that I thought was really cool it was um this woman her name she calls herself Dr. Becky she's a clinical psychologist I believe her podcast is called good inside and she just put out a little tidbit on praise and she brought up some really cool points that I had never considered um so one of them was just that when we praise anybody, we're really not providing opportunity for the conversation to continue. So if I say, wow, I really love what you made, all you can really say to that is thanks, you know? And so she really encourages that we start to ask questions of, oh, what made you think about that? Or how did you come up with that? And continuing to kind of provoke kids to start to think about what process they went through in order to get that finished product. Um, I, I like, that. that's amazing I never even thought about that yeah and then think of the kids we work with I mean I used to work at a social skills center and we would work on like reciprocating conversation and follow-up questions you know and so it's yeah. like with all this praise we're not even necessarily modeling that appropriately for kids you know yeah, um, that's such a hard thing to know how to respond to and we're not teaching it like right. I think of like my learners that do have enough language to answer those questions and like you ask them you know why did you pick this or why did you make that art? And I feel like a lot of it's like, I don't know. Like I just did. Yeah. Like they don't, you know, they're not, we're not teaching them those skills to, to look critically respond. And think about. It's metacognitive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was like Dr. Becky's whole point was like, we want kids to start to look internally rather than externally for that reinforcement. Basically. I mean, her whole argument was basically that when we are constantly praising and praising and praising that we're teaching kids to really seek that external validation and to not necessarily feel the pride within themselves the way Ashley that you said you know you got because you did things on your own and then later could talk about it um, and even going back to the workplace it was saying that people might not be as satisfied if they're not receiving that constant feedback but in reality we want to raise kids who grow up and are proud yeah. of themselves and then that extra feedback is just icing on the cake not something that's going to determine how they feel that day or where their self-esteem levels are at. So again, just another thing to consider. <laughs> and I think that makes me think too of that, the parenting article that we mentioned, Megan, because I feel like part of what they were trying to get at was that they were trying to raise children that found value in helping their community right. versus just doing this one thing that gets you praise, right? Or specific recognition. Yeah. It's more finding 
seeing what you contributed to your community and how that was valuable to the community, like that within itself is a reinforcer. Right. And so that goes back to like in our purposeful parenting program, we have um, research from, so like, I think that the, it comes from the forehand and long book. Um, what is it called? Parenting the strong-willed child. Um, and I think that's psychology based. It's not ABA based, but um, mm-hmm. they talk about how back in like pre- industrial revolution days, right? You're living in one house with your family. And if you didn't do your chores, then you're not eating dinner, you know? And, and sure. I feel like though that's that kind, you didn't need praise because if you didn't do what you were supposed to do, then you weren't going to eat or, you know, like, it affected live. you directly. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And like, I feel like community, it's such a different, we're raising kids in such a different model. Um, and I think that article said that like a lot of our, I mean, this is again, that Atlantic article was talking about parenting, but like a lot of our parenting suggestions are coming from like less than a hundred years of research, which is right. a little terrifying, you know, like, like that, like we're raising these kids in such a different way. I mean, like, obviously it's different because there's so much more technology. Um, But it is, it is a little bit scary how we're putting so much emphasis on this practice that really is not empirically supported. Um, Right. So whether we're doing it as a parent or a dog mama, a fur mama, a baby mama, (laughs) (laughs) daddies or whatever. And, um, or, um, or just as behavior analysts, like treating our student, our clients or teachers, treating our students, you know, working with our students. So it's really interesting. All right. So, um, anybody else want to add anything to that? All good. Okay. So always enlightening. I feel like I could talk to you guys for hours about (laughs) so many different topics, um, but we'll wrap it up. Um, we'll do our final, uh, segment is going to be the summary and final focus. So, um, We'll take turns again. So Ashley representing the pro side, you're going to speak first. Uh, so you have the floor, take it away. All right. Thank you. Um, all right. So in general, I think we know praise can and might function as a reinforcer for appropriate behaviors. Uh, using praise as a reinforcer is considered relatively easy, cost-effective. Um, it's not intrusive, meaning you don't have to kind of interrupt the activity that's being completed to provide it. Um, It's an alternative to using more controversial reinforcers such as food and is generally considered to be uh, more socially acceptable. Um, And some of those come from uh, Bayette and colleagues in 2011 and Pasito and colleagues in 2019. So when it comes to determining the use of behavior specific praise versus general praise, there's of course no easy or simple answer, even with the research we do have available. What we can say about the use of behavior-specific praise is that it can potentially provide specific information to the learner about what they did correctly or what warranted praise. This can be especially helpful when providing praise during a time when multiple behaviors are expected in close proximity, such as a behavior chain like hand-washing. Behavior-specific praise can be considered an easy manipulation to improve behavior in a school setting. A school that uses a tiered system of supports can easily use behavior-specific praise to reinforce and acknowledge students who meet the school-wide expectations, 
which may also remind uh, those students that are having more difficulty with the school and classroom expectations if behavior specific praise is given publicly. Students whose behavior consistently does not meet school expectations can receive more frequent behavior specific praise as a tier two intervention and behavior specific praise can continue to be a key component of any tier two or tier three intervention. Um, and some of these recommendations come from Royer and colleagues in 2019. Ennis and colleagues in 2018 provide a great outline of how to implement behavior-specific praise in the classroom to improve uh, student success. And then Hollingshead and colleagues in 2016 conducted a case study in an urban school classroom in which the teacher increased the use of behavior-specific praise student statements and decreased reprimands in conjunction with developing classroom rules. The authors discuss how these procedures also increased the overall positive environment of the classroom. I think this is an important point to note that because in general, it's easy to focus on children and adolescents' mistakes and inappropriate behaviors, which can cause us to lose sight of the purpose of education and just growing up in general. Regardless of the child's diagnosis or lack thereof, and their behaviors, our job is to instill a positive learning environment and the support that comes with an it's okay to make mistakes kind of attitude. But with all that being said, based on our prior discussion of differences across cultures, perhaps instead of focusing on the type of praise we're providing, we should be focusing on whether we should be praising at all. Should our end goal to be, be to eliminate all extrinsic reinforcers, including praise? All right. Thanks so much, Ashley. Those were so many good points. Um, all right. Now to wrap everything up, give her summary and final focus. Jackie, representing the con side, will make her closing statements. Jackie, it's all you. Thank you, Megan. And thank you, Ashley, so much for all of your insights today as well. It has been such a pleasure to work with you both on this project and just getting to dive a little bit deeper into this topic. Um, I do want to reiterate that behavior-specific praise is just so widely used and recommended, and there just isn't the empirical data to support the level of trust that it's gained throughout our community. It's time for us to change the narrative and to shape our own behavior as therapists and as BCBAs for when it's appropriate versus not appropriate to use and to pay attention to the most recent research that we do have supporting this notion that every individual is different and therefore requires individualized attention for what's going to work for them. Um, assessing praise as a preference and as a form of reinforcement is something that we need to become more comfortable with and more aware of when we're writing programs and behavior intervention plans for our clients. Um, and again, I think it's important that we as a field start paying attention um, a little bit closer to the research that's coming out of other fields. And as Ashley mentioned, maybe start to consider if we should be fading praise in our practice or even praising at all. Yeah. All right. Ladies, thank you so much for your thoughtful, thorough defense of your sides. Um, I should have said this before, but I, I'm glad that I'm in good company, but I definitely felt completely ignorant. And uh, honestly, I have to say that prior to working both of you in preparation to this podcast, I never had considered so many of these points. Like, like Ashley said, all of the attributes of praise never had even considered that that could have a, a different kind of effect, which I'm a behavior analyst. I should, you know, like that should be ingrained <laughs> in me kind of embarrassing. Um, but thanks for doing this research. It's definitely sorely needed in ABA. And so many people deliver praise without even thinking about it. And we really need to start thinking about it. So um, I also forgot to mention that we're kind of still in the throes of this global pandemic. So this whole podcast was recorded remotely. So to our listeners, thanks for your patience if the audio varied between the three of us. So I appreciate that. Stay tuned for a new episode of ABA Ultimate Showdown coming 
at some point. Um, <laughs> they're released intermittently as we work on them, but we do have some great things coming. So um, keep an eye out for that. So if you want to be a guest debater, or if you have a great topic that you want us to debate, let us know, send us your ideas, your respectful suggestions on ways we can improve the podcast on over to showdown at grambehavior.com. It's Graham like the cracker. Um, if you have enjoyed what you're, what you heard and found your aha moment, please subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at Graham behavior services slash showdown, like, or follow Graham behavior services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, or sign up for our company's newsletter to be alerted when our episodes are out. Um, we also appreciate your thoughtful review on the platform that you listen to us. And we ask you two things. One, be respectful and thoughtful when you respond to other people and their ideas. Remember that everyone has a unique learning history that has brought them to this moment. It will make you a better person and further promote behavior analysis. And two, go forth and deliver good ABA. And before you do that, the second code word is rethink, R-E-T-H-I-N-K. We want you to rethink delivering praise. This podcast has been brought to you by Graham Behavior Services providing quality, comprehensive evidence-based therapy to individuals with any behavior challenges or an autism spectrum disorder to create effective behavior change in themselves while empowering their families to help them pursue productive, purposeful, and fulfilling lives. Thank you, everybody, and have a great summer.